uh, today the topic I'll be preaching on is the uh, doctrine of the ascension. We've been th through the Easter season uh, now the last few weeks, and I think we're capping it now today and next week. Okay, good. Maybe that was the, uh, the thing we forgot. Maybe. But blessed to uh, bring that before you today as I've been studying that and uh, reading up on the doctrine of the ascension. And as I was doing that, I was reminded of uh, one of my favorite books, To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't, I don't know if you've read that or not, and it was uh, based in the 1930s in rural Alabama, and later on in the, I, think, I believe the 60s, they made a, a movie out of it for anybody who doesn't like to read. Go, re go watch that black and white film. And uh, so as, I mean, in this book, right, this, this author based it on a lot on her own life and uh, had some of the main characters. There's little Scout Finch, her brother Jem, and their father Atticus, and a friend Dill, and a housekeeper, and a man named Tom Robinson. And Tom Robinson is a young black man who gets uh, caught up romantically with a young white woman, and uh, this is 1930s. Alabama, right, and uh, with no, well, less of a pun intended, it went south very quickly, and uh, he finds himself, luckily, in this story, in jail before the mob could get to him, and the whole town just wants him gone. The girl who lied about the situation, the father who uh, made the situation worse, everyone wants Tom gone. And he's in jail, and no one will defend this man uh, except, in the story, the man with a backbone, Tom uh, uh, Atticus Finch. And one of the most poignant scenes in the whole story, and it's really well done in the movie, is uh, Atticus making his final testimony before the jury and the judge on behalf of Tom, where he lays out ev all the evidences. And he suggests it's actually the racism of these two against Tom and uh, the prejudices of the whole town against Tom that's really what's on trial here. Not Tom himself, just got caught up in the whole thing. And as he is looking around, Atticus is looking around making his case to a jury that's already made up their mind based on the color of his skin, the judge who couldn't care less, the full courtroom full of people who all just want one thing from the jury, a guilty verdict for this act. Tom Robinson had one person on his side, Atticus Finch. He had a mediator, an intercessor on his behalf, facing all those who wanted this, this young man gone. He had a, a mediator, and he was a good one. I encourage you to read that book or watch the movie if you've not. But I, I think Christians today forget that we have something similar, if not better than Mr. Atticus, that we have an, a heavenly intercessor. We have a heavenly mediator in between us and the Father. And I know that a lot of Christians as well believe that or have heard or picked up that Jesus' work finished at the cross, the crucifixion, or maybe Maybe it finished at the resurrection and he kind of handed the baton off to the Holy Spirit and said, all right, my job's done. You take over this bunch. And he just kind of blipped out and disappeared. And that's not at all what happened. 
that he today is still at work on behalf of you, every single one of you, mediating out of love for you. And, I, and the doctrine of the ascension and the way the, the writers handle that, uh, I think will we'll pull that out for us as an important thing to walk away with today. And so if you would pray with me, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 1 to start. Holy Father, we thank you again for another beautiful Sunday morning. I'd ask that you would use my words for your people here, that you would keep words not of you from my tongue and my lips and keep me out of the way in that. That you would use the doctrine of the ascension to burn in our hearts again afresh this Sunday morning and carry us through the week and the months and the years ahead that this would root deeply in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. And Holy Spirit, the way you work in our hearts. And we pray this in the Son's name. Amen. So if you'd, we're going to go Acts 1, verses 1 through 11, if you'd read along with me. This is Luke writing. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom, kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John uh, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And our historian Luke gave us this incredible piece of history. I don't know if uh, in our hearts we actually believe that that could happen, but it did there was a time for 40 days where Jesus walked around his people in different ways and different appearances at times. And then after 40 days, the father brought him up into the sky and used a cloud weather to block him from sight so that he could then go to heaven. Because we know, you know, heaven is not just above the clouds, right? This was uh, taken up out of them so they could see the ascension and then covered by a cloud is when he went to heaven. But if you're like me and have walked in same uh, Christian circles that I have through my life, the ascension is, is rarely mentioned. You know, and in fact, it's, it's like a dogma. It's what we call a dogma of the Christian faith. Like, what, okay, what is dogma? It's a, a topic or a, a piece of a topic that if it were removed, that thing would no longer stand true. 
But if that is true for the ascension, why is it never discussed? Because it's not just done so that the, this could wow the apostles. Could you imagine that moment? Oh, wow, there he goes. That's not the point of the ascension. There's a theology behind it. He went somewhere for a specific purpose. Well, that, that purpose is to become the high priest. In the book of Hebrews, it's mentioned everywhere, these, his threefold office, the prophet, priest, and king. That he took the old covenant roles, the three main roles, fulfilled them and took him upon himself. And the ascension is what sealed his role as our new high priest of the church. And okay, so maybe we have to back up some more. Okay, well, he's a, cool, he's a high priest. That's, that's cool and all. But what was the high priest to Luke and the people that Luke is writing to? Well, the high priest and the priest in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, started essentially when uh, the group of Levites the descendants of Levi did not partake when the Israelites worshiped the golden calf. If y'all uh, remember that story when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and they, they think maybe a battle's going on below, but no, they've just made this golden calf to worship uh, as though he's Yahweh. And the Levites did not partake in that and were dubbed priests from that time on. And then later, from within the Levites, the high priest when it was initiated. And that high priest would do uh, similar responsibilities to the other priests throughout the year. And after the uh, Temple of Solomon was built, he then had uh, more roles added to him. And one specifically that no other priest in the land would do as the pinnacle religious position in the, of the people was on one day a year, the Day of Atonement, this man would enter the Holy of Holies within the temple where no other man could go for any other day of the year and would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people, cleansing the sins of the year of the corporate Israel of the Hebrews. God had promised that he would dwell with his people, that he would live among his people, but he did this specifically in the Holy of Holies chamber behind this curtain and in the temple. And what's unique about this structure is that every other day of the year, for everyone, not just the high priest, the closest that you could get to God was 90 feet. 90 feet was the closest. This is this, the imperfectedness of this system, the shadow of the true system that was to come. The high priest, before he would go in on the Day of Atonement, he'd have to do a sacrifice for his own sins so that he could then go and represent the sins of the people before God in the Holy of Holies. It, there was so much imperfectedness in this system that they had to protect themselves. Because what happened if the one man who was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies died while inside the Holy of Holies? Do you wait in a hot Israel one whole year till you can get another high priest to say, hey, go fetch that other guy? No, they would tie a rope around his ankle and he would wander in there and do his thing. And if he died, which I, I don't think happened, they would then drag him out of there. So they didn't die after they went in. There was one writer, 
who was commentating on this, uh, as far as the Holy of Holies, he would say it was safer for a man to walk on the sun than a sinner to stand unshielded before God. God took this seriously, and the, high, the, the role of the high priest seriously. But what is the job of the priest? Well, if you've, you've heard of the prophets, right? We have some of their writings. If the job of the prophet was to go to God and receive a word from him and then turn and face the people on behalf of God, then the job of the priest was the opposite. He would be with the people and then turn towards God and mediate on behalf of them to God. He was the mediator between the two, the one sacrificing between the two. And that was his role as high priest, as a representative of the people. Could you imagine that? 364 days out of the year, you were 90 feet away from God, except that one where you could have perfect unity as a people with him. And like I said, it was just a shadow of the reality that was to come later. This whole high priest and the whole holy of holies and, and a mediator in between the people was merely a shadow until the perfect mediator could come through Jesus. But how do we make that connection now? So that I've, I've rambled on about that enough, I think. But how do we connect Jesus, his ascension, and the high priestly role in heaven together? How do we do that? And that's where uh, the author of Hebrews helps us because we need that perfect high priest. And we need the perfect representative on behalf of the people in heaven at the, the right hand of the Father. And I think they're going to come up on the screens. I gave them to, to Duane. And the author of Hebrews, he uses this language of ascending on purpose in connection with the high priestly roles. In chapter 4, verse 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And then and later in chapter 9, verse 24, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, as though the temple which are copies or shadows of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So that's great, right? Jesus uh, rubber-stamped the deal. He's now ascended. Check the box. He's the high priest. He's sitting at the right hand of God as an intercessor, as a mediator. Since Pastor Tom used R.C. Sproul last week. I'll use him here. He, he defines a biblical mediator as a mediator is a go-between, an intermediary, someone who stands between two or more par parties, oftentimes mediating a dispute. We now have a, a holy Jesus because of the ascension, mediating perfectly between his people, the church, and God the Father. So what does that do for the believer today? As someone who's going to kind of putz around this earth for 70 or so years, and then we die and we go see Jesus as believers, what do we do now if I have convinced you of the truth of the ascension and the high priestly role of Jesus in such quick time? 
What does that matter? And I was in a seminary class. I, I don't know why I said seminary. It's a little uh, arrogant. I was in a class, and the professor was telling a story of uh, one, someone else. And I tried to find the name, and I just could not. But the story goes that he tells all of his students is that there at one time was an even bigger and brighter professor who was a pastor as well. And to make time for his family, he had a home office. And if you wanted to have an appointment and meet with him, you would drive to his house and someone would let you in and they had a nice little sit sitting room for you to come into and enjoy and you would sit and wait for the professor. You would wait for him to invite you in. And this was fairly rigid because he was a professor and a pastor, okay? So this, he had limited time and he had to be rigid about the rules. There was no knocking on the door. There's no peering through the glass to make sure uh, you, you know, like this, you had all the time that you should have with the, prof the great professor. There's no jibber jabber. You got to the point of counseling or theological questions. There's rigidity and purpose. But it wasn't like that for all people. It wasn't like that for all people. Because he happened to have a couple children who those rules did not apply to. Those children had free access to the professor for whatever they needed. If they needed to come into the room, they didn't have to knock. They knew the situations and they were respectful, but it, they didn't have the same rules as everyone else did. If they needed to come ask a question or have a, a boo-boo kissed and wiped off, if they were hungry, if they just wanted to climb up on the lap of their dad, and cuddle and listen. They had free access to him differently than the others. It was a warm, loving relationship where there's no worry of retribution because they knew the door was always open to them. And in the same way, that's what, how Jesus makes our relationship with the Father as our mediator we now have an open relationship with the Father. We have a personal and loving relationship with God the Father because of Jesus' work on the cross. As a, he ascended as a high priest, as our mediator in heaven. We now have a childlike relationship with the Father that we have access to all the time. doesn't matter if the office is busy and there's people in there. We have access to God through Christ. It's because he is a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, as it says in Hebrews 7, 26. Except he's completely unlike any other high priest the world has ever seen in his perfection. Just as Atticus was in To Kill a Mockingbird, on behalf of Tom Robinson, Jesus is that for you? If you read Hebrews uh, 4.14 with me, it should be up here. We're going to read it again. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of graces that we may, have, may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That high priest earlier who's sinful in himself and has to cleanse himself to then intercede, who can only get into the Holy of Holies once a year to actually wash clean the people, who would die and they'd have to replace them, who could fail and fall and they'd have to replace them and it'd create turmoil in the people. We now have a perfect high priest who never dies. Really, that should burn so brightly in us to know that, to encourage us that Jesus being perfect in the perfect holy of holies with the perfect father now looks upon you through the lens of the perfect mediator. The doors are flung open to you. At all times, the door is flung open to you to simply enter the office of God, the holy of holies, and give him your needs and your wants, your desires, your hurts. That's what our high priest does. My second point I titled Christ's Power for His People. And I'm terrible with titles, so I just kind of pick something from, from there. So if you go to Ephesians 1 with me, I think this is the a second reason Christ's ascension matters for us. Ephesians 1, 16 through 23. Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is his immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and then seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. It's ascension language. Far, 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. That is just packed with goodness. Listen again. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. It's just a wow, and a wonder that this is what Jesus accomplished, what the Father accomplished through his ascension. I don't want to interpret the passage really any further than Paul, that, except to plead to our hearts, to hold to that truth, to kind of open that big door, the big trap door, and put it in there and lock it tight that this truth, that our great prophet 
and priest and King Jesus is now at work as the King of Kings. He's above all. It's like he has uh, reigns around the universe, controlling it all, and he is your perfect mediator, the one you are free to go to at all times. Mm. That should encourage our weary souls. Because I don't know about you, but my heart can be weak and fickle. Uh, if you ask my wife, since she's not here, I can refer to her. Uh, my heart can be like a roller coaster train that she is trying to slow down a bit. But it's these truths, I think, that give us joy and courage. And I was just reading the sign on the back and the, the fruits of the spirits of joy and peace. Joy and peace that the ascension gives us. And as I was thinking of that, my fickle heart, and, you know, Miranda, who, she's over in Michigan with the kids, visiting family, and she, is, she loves history. She loves to read history for some reason. And uh, her favorite thing to do is to read uh, women through church history, the wives or the saints who w lived boldly for the name of Christ. And one of her favorite stories as she was reading a, a biography on Susanna Spurgeon was a story when uh, another man who, okay, I should preempt this. I'm not comparing myself to this man. I'm saying my heart is fickle like this man in my sin. Okay, Charles Spurgeon, this woman's uh, husband, uh, wrestled deeply with depression. It was a thing that constantly yanked at his heart that it seemed to get worse and worse as he aged and his health began to fail. And there's one uh, recording of this type of event where he was in bed for many days and just couldn't seem to pull himself out of it. And then one day, as uh, I know Miranda would do, uh, she walked in dressed in all black, like Johnny Cash black, like she's going to a funeral. And good old Spurgeon, as he sees this, because he cares for his church, he gets up and he says, oh, who died? Thinking a funeral was coming that he'd now have to do, which probably would depress him more. And she said, well, God died. And I'm sure you could imagine his eyes getting huge. I think, what did you just say? I say, well, that's how you're acting, Charles. If I could be so bold to use his first name. That's how you're acting, Charles, is you're acting as though God died. I think Spurgeon got the message and was back at it, but Susanna was onto something here because we do the same thing. I just said I do the same thing, we, but we act as though we don't have a high king in the heavenly realms interceding on our behalf, the king who is perfect the prophet who is perfect, the priest who is perfect, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for all things and all your pain and all your sorrow and your celebrations. There's no one feeling that more deeply than Jesus Christ. Yet, we act like Spurgeon does. And we get, we get down, we get depressed. I'm not saying depression can't be chemical. I'm saying that we can lead ourselves there because we do not hold to the truth that Jesus ascended and he's your high priest and representative in front of a perfect father.
Pastor Tom, I know you went here last week. But I wanted to go here before I knew you were going there. So I'm going to go here again because maybe every week we should just go here. But Romans 8, verses 31 and 39. I don't know if there's anything uh, more encouraging. It's my favorite passage in all of Scripture. But as we're talking about a high priest who ascended into heavens, who is watching out for you, who is guarding you, who is watching us blow with the winds and the tides, this is, this is for us. Romans eight thirty one. This is Paul again. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring up any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul knew that truth. Paul knows it. And then he wrote this because he knew that truth. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. I don't know if you noticed, that's an N-O, no. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I am up here right now trying to blow on, that, on the coals of your heart and burn it up into a flame again that you would have the courage and the confidence and the joy and peace in your soul knowing that it doesn't matter if you lose a job, if you have a fight with a relative, if your child dies, it does not matter. If, so, if the worst of the worst happens in your life, in comparison to the beautiful good that awaits us in heaven. There is no bad. It is that beautiful and good and gracious that whatever trials that you face in this life, as a believer, you have something so incomparable waiting for you. And the best gift of that is Jesus himself, waiting to welcome you with his arms into heaven. I know bad happens in this life and hurts happens and death happens and pain happens. I get that. But it is the truth, Romans 8. It's the truth of Ephesians 1, the truth of the ascension of the priestly role of Christ that holds us dearly in the midst of those trials. It's the beauty of Jesus. He didn't just stop working for you when he came back to life and said, great job by me gold star, see you later. Today, 
Even today, he sits at the right hand of the Father, proclaiming your righteousness through him. Every day, every day. Just like Atticus Finch, who stood before a terrible, hateful crowd with a backbone just to defend an innocent man, the ascension of Jesus means he sits at a throne room full of people, the Father and angels and heavenly beings, all, all working and celebrating on your behalf. All perfect. Not a courtroom full of evil people, but a courtroom and an office full of perfect people celebrating you on behalf and protecting you. So bury these passages deep. Ephesians 1, Romans 8. Bury them deep. Let them hold you through the weeks and the months and the years. Because that's going to be Christ's power in you. Because pain's coming, right? Hurt's coming. All that's coming. But so is that truth. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, you have accomplished so um, much good for us. Born of a virgin, sinless, you were, uh, you lived a sinful, sinless life. You were tempted in ways that, uh, the way you felt it is unimaginable because you were perfect. You weren't used to sin like we do, or like we are. You are used to perfectness, so you felt the temptations even deeper than we could ever imagine, yet you withheld and you withstood. You died a perfect life. You rose again. You, you then hung around for 40 days teaching, and then you ascended, and you didn't quit then. It's every day you are interceding. Every moment you're interceding. Jesus, we thank you for your work. Help us confess that reality. Help us live out that reality that you our God, you are our high priest and our king and our prophet and all those things working together to guard over us. Pastor, we didn't go over today. You left and ascended to prepare us a room personally with Tom on the door and Chris on the door and Ray on the door and all these other names, uh, rooms for us in heaven because you love us personally. Father, thank you for this work that you've done and the way you've worked in us, spirit. Thank you. Uh, Holy Trinity, we thank you. We just thank you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.